Listen for the Word of God in Galatians 4, verse 8 to 20 from the Common English Bible. At the time when you didn't know God, you were enslaved by things that aren't God's by nature. But now, after knowing God, or rather being known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless world system? Do you want to be slaves to it again? You observe religious days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you. Perhaps my hard work for you has been for nothing. I beg you to be like me, brothers and sisters, because I have become like you. You haven't wronged me. You know that I first preached the gospel to you because of an illness. Though my poor health burdened you, you didn't look down on me or reject me, but you welcomed me as if I were an angel from God or as if I were Christ Jesus. Where then is the good, the great attitude that you had? I swear that if possible, you would have dug out your eyes and given them to me. So then, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They are so concerned about you, though not with good intentions. Rather, they want to shut you out so that you would run after them. However, it's always good to have people concerned about you with good intentions, and not just when I'm there with you. My little children, I'm going through labor pains again until Christ is formed in you. But I wish I could be with you now and change how I sound, because I'm at a loss about you. The Word of God. What's your favorite breakup song? When the relationship I had been in for four years ended, one of my cousins mailed me a care package. In it, she included two burn CDs, one with upbeat, defiant songs like, Oh no, not I, I will survive, and I'm a survivor, I'm gonna make it, I will survive, keep on surviving, and all the single ladies, all the single ladies, and it's too late to apologize. It's too late. The other CD had the slow, tears rolling down your face kind of songs like, I don't mind spending every day out on my corner in the pouring rain. This is the breakup song portion of Paul's letter to the Galatians. In the words of the Righteous Brothers, you lost that loving feeling. In Paul's words, chapter 4, verse 15, in the contemporary English version, he says, where is that good feeling now? Paul retells their relationship story. When I showed up at your door, I was sick. But did you turn me away? Nope. You treated me as though I were an angel, like Christ himself. You would have dug out your eyes and given them to me. Now that's weird. But this is a thing that people said in those days to a close friend they cared about, something like, you would have given me your right arm. But now, Paul senses that things have changed. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Then he uses the word, they. They are so concerned about you. Now the word concerned here in the Common English Bible doesn't quite get at the Greek here. Paul is using romantic language. He's saying they're pursuing you. You're their love interest, but they're not really interested in you. 
They want to shut you out from us so that you'll pursue them, so you'll make them feel important. Who are they? It seems that these are teachers claiming to be more connected with church headquarters in Jerusalem that Paul, than Paul is, saying, what Paul taught you, it was okay, but not enough. In order to really belong to Jesus, you must become Jewish. You must get circumcised. You must keep the festivals. You must eat kosher. You have to follow Torah, all God's law. Paul says, they're saying this to make themselves feel important. Ouch. I can imagine this letter being read out loud in churches, meeting in homes throughout Galatia, in front of some of these very teachers. Talk about some awkward moments. Paul is using strong, direct language here because of what's at stake. He's afraid that everything they've been through together would have been for nothing. He's afraid they're going back to being slaves. My husband Mike and I got to watch the movie Harriet during quarantine. Harriet Tubman escaped slavery, then went back again and again to rescue others. Before she left with a group, she would tell them, once we go, there's no going back. One time, a man said he was going back when morale got particularly low. Harriet pulls out a revolver and says, you go on or die. He was with the group when they made it to Canada. As a conductor on the Underground Railroad, Harriet never lost a passenger. Paul? The Apostle Paul is about to lose his. In Galatians 4, verse 8, he says, When you didn't know God, you were enslaved by things that aren't God's by nature. I imagine he would have had all the heads in the room in those house churches nodding at that point. In this farming society, each Greek city had a series of festivals intended to honor the gods in order to get blessings back. The people may have been a bit relieved to be rid of fickle Zeus, the costly sacrifices that needed to be made to the moon god, shouting to get Mother Earth's attention, plus all the days set aside for worshiping the Roman emperor. But here comes the shocker. This is the moment Paul pulls out his revolver. How can you turn back again? Do you want to be slaves again? You observe religious days and months and seasons and years, and I can hear the, <gasps> why? The word observe that Paul uses here is the same one that Jews use to talk about keeping days holy. Paul is saying, you've switched out one set of festivals for another, one set of religious rules for another. And if this switch upholds, you're at risk of losing the good news altogether. For Paul, there's no difference between a legalistic pagan and a legalistic Christian. They're both trying to figure God out from the bottom up when God has come from the top down at a certain point of time in history in Christ Jesus. They're both trying to know God when God has already chosen to know us. In verse 9, Paul corrects himself. At first he says, but now, after knowing God, 
or rather being known by God, how can you turn back again? Or rather being known by God. Paul says, I know you. You're the one who would have taken out your eyes and given them to me. Why are you chasing after these conceited, self-righteous, self-absorbed jerks? Guess what? God knows you. Why are you doing all these things to try to get God's attention, to to try to prove something when you already have everything in Christ? Just before our verses today, in verse 7, Paul says, Your sons. He could have used the generic children like he does at the end of our passage for today. But he uses sons. And I believe it's not because he's being sexist, but because he's being anti-sexist. Why? In ancient times, sons and daughters did not have the same status. As a matter of fact, in our own world, August 26 marks just a hundred years, a hundred years, since the 19th Amendment guaranteeing women's right to vote. This only came about after 72 years of marching, imprisonment, beatings. It was a hard fight. Friends, and especially my friends who were not able to vote, like myself, 100 years ago, please vote. One of the female founders of this community once said, to even do it on Sabbath, if you have to. You see, sons had status. Paul says, you are all sons because there are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. You are sons. Status, male or female sons. Sons is the status word there. You don't have to keep those festivals. Now, you might be saying to me, Pastor, these issues aren't relevant to me. No one is pressuring me to get circumcised. No one's pressuring me to keep the Passover. Well, let me tell you a story. This, unless you think this particular issue is completely dead. On January 19, 2019, when I was pastoring up at the church in Victorville, two women with their heads covered came into the worship service. One of them approached me right before I was getting up to preach to tell me the Holy Spirit had something that she needed to tell the congregation. Well, I whispered and told her, I'll talk to you right after the worship service. So I was preaching, I got going, and then um, as I was preaching, I saw her walking down the aisle, handing out papers to everyone down the rows. And I thought to myself, what is going on here? Then another woman in the middle of her pew stands up, stands up, and starts talking loudly right in the middle of my sermon. I paused out of shock long enough to hear what she was saying before I I said, deacons, please help me. She was basically saying, we shouldn't celebrate Easter. We must celebrate Passover. But Paul says switching festivals is just that, switching festivals. Trying to get God's attention through festival keeping is as useless when Christians do it as when Greeks do it. Trying to prove you belong is as much slavery when Christians do it as when anyone else does. When we do it, when we're in that mode, friends, we've missed the good news. The good news is not a list. It's not a list of things to do to know God. 
The good news is really news. It is an announcement. It is the reality that God knows us in Christ. Do you know that you're known? Or are you turning back to slavery? It's easier to recognize you're a slave to something when it lands you drunk and cold out on the street. It's harder to admit there's a problem when it's something other people admire you for, like religiously, obsessively posting on social media, or checking off your Bible reading for the day, or giving money, or accepting every ministry opportunity that comes your way, or never missing church. To all my fellow regular church goers out there, how has it felt for you to miss in-person church? In this COVID reality, are we finding new life-giving ways to spend time with Jesus and in community? Or does it feel like we haven't done our part, like we haven't made the necessary sacrifice, we haven't held up our end of the bargain, like we haven't really observed Sabbath, like we aren't really being faithful unless or until we've dressed up, made the drive, and arrived on the property? And I love Sabbath. It's a beautiful God-given gift that we get to experience and invite people into that happens every seventh day. And we need to be a church with our Bibles open. Now more than ever, I certainly would support the more Bible reading, the better, friends. And being in ministry is incredibly meaningful. If you're not in a ministry, I'd love to help you find one. And thank you to all you posters and commenters out there. Yes, you. I'm thinking of you right now. Thank you for posting, and thank you for your financial giving. Thank you for helping make ministry happen. But I, and maybe you do too, I have an issue with measuring. I once spent an entire year taking pictures of everything I ate. Literally, nothing besides water went into my mouth without eating, being photographed. It drove my husband crazy. And now, when it's time to feed our baby, I go looking for my cell phone. Mike teases that our baby boy is going to think breastfeeding requires a cell phone with a Wi-Fi connection because unless I recorded the time I spent nursing on my app, the baby really didn't get fed. Maybe you've met others with a measuring issue too. Maybe you've heard that you're not really a Christian unless you do this this type of devotions or you're not really a Christian unless you're always happy and nice. You're not really a Christian unless you're a Democrat or unless you're a Republican. You're not really a Christian unless you keep Sabbath or unless you become an Adventist. Like the teachers Paul is railing against, we too can exclude people in ways that make us feel more important. By the way, if an Adventist told you that we're the only true Christians, please go back and tell them to go read Fundamental Belief number 12 in our description of what we believe. We do not believe we're the only true Christians. Amen? And if you're Adventist and you're worried that this means we have no reason to exist as a community, please read number 13. We have beautiful God-given gifts to share with the world, like looking forward to Jesus' second coming, Jesus being our advocate in heaven and on earth, celebrating Sabbath as a taste of the future that's coming, death as a restful sleep. No God that tortures people forever and ever in hell. Our bodies as a good place where the Holy Spirit can dwell. The reality of spiritual gifts being alive and well today. Standing up against religious and political powers that make people slaves. But 
If we start to think we're the only Christians out there, if we lose number 12, we will miss out on what the Holy Spirit has to say to us through Christians with a different history and their own God-given gifts to share. This situation is so intense for Paul that he uses a labor analogy. Chapter 4, verse 19, My little children, I'm going through labor pains again until Christ is formed in you. When our oldest, Eleanor, finally came into the world, I'd been in the pushing stage for four hours. She would progress and then slip back. Progress and then slip back. Did you hear me? I, I didn't say labor for four hours. I said the pushing stage for four hours. It was painful, crucial, life essential work. What is Paul labor, laboring for? He says, until Christ is formed in you. In other words, until Christ comes alive in you. It is as we know that we're known, that we're sons and not slaves, that God's Son is formed in us and seen in our community. Theo Sutter, one of the youth of our church, texted me a question out of the blue last week. He said, why do we seek to make ourselves look better when we were created perfectly? Great question, Theo. Said another way, why do we try so hard to measure up to others' expectations or make ourselves feel more important when we are already known and loved? Eleanor started playing a new game this week with her father. When he's holding her, she'll say, what's in Papa's arms? And he says, oh, it's this beautiful, sweet little girl who's two years old. And she says, what's the girl's name? And he'll say, her name is Eleanor Jean Orlich. Have you heard of her? Maybe we need to imagine ourselves being held by our Papa, or in Paul's words, in Jesus' words, our Abba, Father, and ask, what's in Abba's arms? And listen to be reminded of who we are. Friend, if you want to go deeper into learning to listen for God's voice, I hope you'll join us for a 12-week discipleship journey this fall. It's called Deep Calling, and it's about being real with God, ourselves, and others in community. If you'd like to hear more about that, please write Deep Calling in the comments where you're watching, or send us a note from our website, lasierra.church. Uh, Just write Deep Calling. We'll have sessions together over 12 weeks um, in safe ways, and I'm so excited if you would be a part of that, learning to listen to God's voice in community. Our son Eric is four and a half months old now. Does he know me? Does he even know my name? Can he tell my life story? Does he remember my birthday? Can he repeat the street address or get me just the right Mother's Day present? Nope. Does he know how to sleep through the night in order to win his mother's good favor? Nope. But does he know my sound? And my smell? Yep. And when he looks into my eyes, does he know that he's known? Yep. What is it that is forming and shaping you during this pandemic? Is it your addictions and obsessions? Is it the rules that you try to keep so religiously? Or is it your relationship to Christ and to others who will remind you that you are known and loved by God? Maybe you and I need to imagine looking into the eyes of Jesus and seeing ourselves right there. 
Friends, we don't have to add one more thing to our to-do list to get God's attention. We don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to hide the things that keep taking life but don't have the power to give us life. We don't have to worry about God breaking up with us or running out on us. We're not slaves. We don't have to just try to survive. Friends, we're sons, daughters, freed from all the ways we try to measure up. We're known and loved. And this was the part of the song that brought me to tears. She will be loved. She will 